It's funny, Cassie asked me the other day, like, what do you, wait, what do you actually do? Because we were talking about something came <laughs> up or something like in the, oh, I posted those pictures in the chat. And I gave her this explanation that I realized later I never got to what I actually do. And that's why no, we didn't. That. No, yeah. we started talking about union stuff as always. Yeah. Right. Trust me, me and Colin have known Greg for a while, Colin more than me, and we also don't know what Greg does. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Munya, what the fuck should I buy or sell GameStock, I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> well, uh, I guess the question is not like whether you ever go to a mall and um, exchange your games that you bought for 60 bucks for you know a good five bucks, like five months later um <laughs> like we did back in maybe 04 uh, but <laughs> if you're on the right internet forums and you're ready to basically do a ratio in real life and that's basically what happened to GameStop Stop. oh my god they monetized the ratio yeah they, uh, they securitized the ratio that is yes. the most upsetting way to hear it but also the most satisfying in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah. So, so GameStop went from eight dollars a share to like one hundred and fifty in two weeks. That's right. Why? Yeah. And because, for what? For what? Because of Reddit is what I'm hearing. Yeah. So GameStop, as you might expect, some listeners may be recalling the last time they've ever heard that company before. <laughs> um, their financials, predictably, um, have been in the tank even before the pandemic. Now imagine during the pandemic when a lot of closures are arising, people are, are not really buying um, games, you know, at shopping malls and brick and mortar stores anymore. Rarely are they even doing that before. And so, um, you know, their financials actually got cut in half in just revenue. And um, a bunch of people um, like all of capital and a lot of hedge funds are shorting the stock, meaning that they're betting against GameStop. Yeah, betting that it's going to continue to fall, essentially, right? Which would yeah, which makes exactly. sense, right? Well, it would Given be a good bet if you could make good bets in an economy that make makes no sense, right? Yeah, like, right. in a market that no, is no. totally irrational. The markets are rational, so go ahead, tell us what happened yeah, next, right? And so, <laughs> and so, um, you know, people in institutional investing and just in just classical economics in general um, ascribe to the efficient market hypothesis, uh, meaning that, uh, you know, marketplaces, no matter um, what, within wisdom of the crowds, meaning that a lot of people come together into one place to bid up a price and sell a price. And that equilibrium will always, um, you know, make the efficiency of the markets rational. Um, and so, the price point of a particular equity will be seen by the number of buyers and sellers bidding at a certain price. And that's just conventional wisdom that a lot of people have. And, you know, if um, sales are going down and there's no real expectation for growth, then um, the stock price should go down. But that all changed and blew up in Wall Street's face when a group of angry Redditors got mad at an analyst <laughs> For tweeting a bad, <laughs> for tweeting a negative take about GameStop, saying that um, you know GameStop was not really going to succeed, even though the um, Brian's the, dying I guess, over here. <laughs> this is the stupidest thing. This is thing. honestly the funniest fucking story. I, I mean, so I'm sure like this uh, observation has been made, but they gamergated this guy basically uh, b basically like, he got gamer gated. he actually so not only did they make him lose a lot of money by um essentially brigading the stock and bidding the price up um but they also did a gamergate style harassment campaign on him too <laughs> trying to of course they did. On his... that's so fucking cool <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah right because and how dare he <laughs> yeah, right. How dare he? And also, um, and this is uh, the reason why they really like latched on to GameStop specifically is because the uh, founder it's and games. CEO. They love their games. Yeah, they love their games. They're folks. gamer they Americans. Their games. But also, <laughs> also, also um, the founder and CEO of Chewy.com, um, this <laughs> online, it's a dog, <laughs> online store. dog yeah. food delivery service. <laughs> Um, <laughs> bought a, a crap ton of shares in GameStop and um, oh then God. got a seat on the board and tried to push them to <laughs> do more online sales. And so a bunch and of Reddit... And also to sell dog food, right? And also like, to sell oh, dog so food, dog right, to get some synergies with the dog food. So basically a dog food salesman <laughs> bought a lot of shares in GameStop, um, got a lot of Redditors on board, wow. and then Redditors did Gamergate on all of the um, short sellers um, and analysts 
Uh, which, if you don't know, um, when a stock price goes up a, a certain amount, like if you're shorting a stock, you're basically borrowing shares from someone else and then selling them with the hope that, um, you know, in the future, you can buy those shares back at a lower price and pocket the difference. But that also means that you can have um, unlimited losses if the price goes up. And, you know, so at a certain point, um, you'd have to buy those shares back if they're going too high. And so what happened to a lot of people is that one that one Redditors basically did the ratio in real life and bid up GameStop stock to, from like $5 to $20, right? We didn't even hit 150 yet. Um, all of the hedge funds basically had to close their position to just like cut their losses or else they didn't want to lose infinite amounts of money. So then that them buying that stock back made the stock go up even more and then shoot up <laughs> even more and more and more. And it caused this vicious upward cycle uh, because it, like no one is betting on GameStop. Like, everyone's betting against it. So what happens yeah. when <laughs> you bet it up? Everyone else has to cover their position, making the stock go from uh, like into an all-time high. Like, GameStop has never been valued as high as it was, even in their peak of their business. And um, they went from a, around... Uh, up to $150 a share uh, today. So all because of a Chewy.com pet salesman um, and Reddit army. Well, basically some people on Reddit realized this uh, weakness, right? This little loophole, then successfully memefied. I mean, that's the funniest part. They memefied investing in GameStop. So all these people are posting these joke things about how much GameStop stock they bought. (laughs) Yeah, and these guys are... Yeah, it costs these hedge funds untold huge sums of money including it looked like one of the hedge funds had to ask for like a bailout from its larger parent company today uh, which might or might not be related to their losses from this event uh (laughs) yeah just astonishing what a what a fucking what a way to organize your country and your economy yeah guys keep uh keep taking those econ 101 102 classes (laughs) yes when gamers rise up we can do anything Welcome to Mechanical Freak. We're broadcasting live from inside what remains of the projection booth of the abandoned Cinerama in Seattle, (laughs) Washington. That city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. We're amongst stacks of dusty moving boxes labeled in a sweeping black Sharpie scrawl with the words Paul's Bedroom, Nerd Stuff, a bug-eyed gizmo <laughs> face contorted in an interminable grimace, stares in horror at the sparkling ceiling from the sticky popcorn-laden floor where it lays. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. We have uh, so many amazing things to talk about. Gates today, going back to school killing teachers, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then in the Patreon episode, we're going to be talking cops, you know, Mike Solon's uh, amazing podcasting this week and Tacoma PD running people over. But before we get into the show, I would like to introduce everybody here. It's me, Colin. Obviously, Greg and Brian are here. Cassidy is here and Munya is here too. Hey, hey guys. Hey. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> the whole gang is here. The whole we gang. We are. We're all here. The, the band is back together. What better time to reflect once again on the identity of this podcast? Uh, so many of you know it as Seattle Sucks. And while I thought I explained perfectly well in the first episode of the year, all the reasons in it, top to bottom, in and out, gave a perfectly good explanation of why uh, we changed the name. Um, you know, I've been getting some questions and I thought it would be good to, you know, a, a month or so on here, reflect uh, once again on exactly what this new project is all about. And, you know, for me, uh, I'd like to hear from you guys. But for me, like, you know, this is a new era. This is the Biden era. You it's know, the I'm, age of Aquarius. It's yeah. the age of Aquarius. More importantly. This we know. And it's it's... <laughs> This is, uh, this is, you know, this is the age of Biden. Like, could I really go on, uh, putting out a podcast called Seattle sucks when I have so much hope for the future? (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) 
No, here's the thing, though. <laughs> like, um, you may have thought that you explained it well, but like, I think that just in your head, you may have explained it well. So, like, I remain, I still have some questions too, and I'm looking forward sure. to this. Yeah. Cassidy, you didn't think that Greg's uh, instinct to just blame the listener was the right way to go today? <laughs> Maybe yeah, not. I'm, no. I'm still wondering, Greg, when can we start branding people? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Well, listen, okay, maybe I, you know, I left out some of my thinking. Like, for example, you know, 2020 was a big year. Uh, I think Seattle sucking probably basically lapped itself as a concept, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but also, it, just in terms of this podcast, like, think of how far we came in 2020. We defeated our enemies. Jenny Durkin, oh. gone, yeah. done. Yeah. Uh you know, she's not going to be the mayor anymore. She decided not to run because in the end of of 2020, and we called it. And because of also Munya, caused it. Actually, but we yeah. also caused it <laughs> in, a, in a way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> actually, true. Yes. <laughs> Props. We love it. Um, yeah. And, you know, Katie Herzog also. Bye uh, bye. You know, done in 2020. No longer employed at The Stranger, to quote her. The woman herself uh, will probably never be employed as a full-time writer again. <laughs> um, Gotta love that know. cancel culture, baby. Love it. She had, you know, that that uh, toxic, horrible, disgusting person <laughs> had an, you know, a, a full-time imprimatur at one of Seattle's, you know, cultural and news institutions, and now is relegated. To podcasting. (laughs) 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 Loser. Exactly. So, like, (laughs) the way I see it, we've really, we really slayed all our dragons, you know, so it's time to embark on something new. Um, but like, so are you saying that Seattle doesn't suck anymore or it just like really sucks? No, Seattle is actually, it's on a hundred year trajectory oh to be the finest city <laughs> Fuck in you. the United States. <laughs> and stop, stop, we cannot go down this road. <laughs> <laughs> no, we totally should though. Uh, uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Seattle doesn't suck anymore. It's great. Uh, everything's fine. Is all our episodes will tell you very normal city, yeah. No, I think the main thing was that we just wanted to cover a slightly wider variety of topics and we wanted to have exciting new hosts who could come on, uh, hopefully take our jobs so that we could die already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we're ready. Yeah, I mean, not for the death, but for the takeover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but like, um, question so, like. What is like? What is mechanical freak? Like, what does it mean? Like, um, what's the vibe? You know. Well, it's like any cult. You oh. you're only sort of let into, uh, you know, certain levels at a time. So, you know, you, yeah. you've got a long way to go before you will be able to look on the face of the mechanical freak and know him as your god. Yeah, our regular mm. listeners are at sort of our regular listeners are at operating level one. Yeah, our Patreon listeners are operator level two. Subscribe, uh, yeah. Subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Munya and Cassidy have now come in at operating level three. Yeah, uh, but you know, it's you got to get at least to level seven before the true face of the freak. I mean, you're not even oh. wearing the right it's, underwear it's, yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, we kind of laughed about the branding, but that is a thing. Like. Uh, we are kind of an offshoot of Nexium, so yeah. I mean, th- we will be searing our flesh, uh, your flesh, soon. Yeah, yeah. We already did it to each other. <laughs> <laughs> after, no, I mean, like after the pandemic when it's safe, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whenever like thing- one of us gets uh, locked up, like Brian, for whatever reason, for um, <laughs> for whatever know, reason, in- inciting inciting a riot or something <laughs> via podcast. Yeah, um, we're gonna be like Nexium and go to the. King County Jail oh, yeah. and, you know, twerk for our, for our, <laughs> for our leader. Brian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and following yeah. in Nexium's footsteps. I mean, to maybe to answer, you know, to give you the answer that you are ready for, the mechanical freak is part of our larger cosmology that all regular listeners to the show know is very straightforward, logical, <laughs> makes perfect sense. Uh, it <laughs> is, it, yes, obviously, it involves the 
a generation of inbred mutant blevins that have lived <laughs> under the city of Seattle for a hundred years uh, and now do our bidding. Yeah, because uh, we tunneled into the basement of the Seattle Times to free some of the blevins only to force them to work on our printing press. Yeah. Uh, so listen, you know, it's really about like what is in it's really about looking forward to the future. What what the freaks can achieve in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, we're all going to be mechanical freaks when it's said and done. But like, we'll <sighs> always be Seattle suckers, right? Like, that, yes, yeah, yeah. If you live in the city, you will be a sucker forever. That is, that is. Oh, true. it's a locals only sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a very locals only thing that if you live in Seattle, you are a sucker. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> if you're walking around thinking, gosh, this is su- the most livable city in the world. <laughs> All the walking and biking I do. Oh, my God. There are trees here. You are a sucker. Yeah, you've been got. <laughs> You're a dumbass. Oh. oh, well, thanks, Greg. Thanks for that explanation. I feel that's crystal clear now. We definitely I'm, I'm sure everyone will this. understand now. Listen, yeah. <laughs> if anybody has any questions about the direction of the podcast in the future, please direct them on Twitter toward Cassidy. If you have oh. any uh, <laughs> questions about the... Yeah, her DMs are open. Just send them in. <laughs> if you have any questions about the greater cosmology, please direct those to our master of uh, sorcery, ceremony, and scrolls, Colin. Uh, yeah. Also on Twitter. Uh, you could also reach any of us by just typing or just writing Marina on an envelope <laughs> and, and maybe boat underneath it and just put it, the, mail it, mail it, mail yeah, it. I'm in slip B7 at the Marina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's well. good to hear. So speaking of the Seattle sucks cosmology uh, for the last two Thanksgiving specials, which I, encourage people to go back and listen to we really are the best work they're so long (laughs) and so good and we have (laughs) taken on in both of them the bill and melinda gates foundation us alone have the strength the will the uh dedication to truth and justice the capacity to, to huff our own farts to look into the gates foundation and you know we have always said that they are a force for evil in the world. Uh, this last yeah. Thanksgiving, we did predict that they would f- completely fuck up <laughs> this uh, vaccine distribution, particularly I for people we, in the third we world. We predicted that uh, they would uh, deliberately do genocide because they, um, <laughs> Gates himself is a Malthusian who would like all the poor people, and especially Africans of the world, to die. I think that's what we predict. No, yeah. like, it's not a fuck-up. Like, it was like, this is what yeah. they planned, right? Oh, and, and we will be talking about that today. Well, wouldn't you know it? That a story came across the freak desk. Ooh. That uh, about Oxford University, the Gates Foundation, and AstraZeneca. And let me just read some quick little excerpts for everybody here. Oxford University surprised and pleased advocates of overhauling the vaccine business in April by promising to donate the rights to its promising coronavirus vaccine to any drug maker. The idea was to provide medicines preventing or treating COVID-19 at a low cost or free of charge, the British University said. For all we've talked about how every part of this uh, global vaccine rollout, how absolutely despicable it is. What we talked about in the Thanksgiving episode was the way that the Gates Foundation has, you know, operated to control and use its position as just, you know, very rich guy who people like because he's supposedly a philanthropist and who has all this experience doing like health work in Africa, uh, which we know is actually just, you know, basically trying to lower African birth rates. In all that, the group at Oxford had apparently made a very and announced to the world a very sort of straightforward moral decision, a sort of basic thing that, but of course, you know, our drugs in America are made by there. These are for-profit companies. And that's what we're seeing Bill Gates organize on a global scale is these for-profit companies in a way that is squeezing as much of the juice out of this shit as they possibly can to enrich themselves. But at Oxford, they said, 
they came to the very like obvious conclusion. This a publicly funded university developing this shit with massive public funds saying like, obviously we have to make this open source so that anyone in the world could produce it. Meaning countries around the world can use their homegrown pharmaceutical industries, even their state run industries, whoever to produce these things. So that it's not in the control of a handful of big American and like crowd pharmaceutical companies who can control the supply and go like, Oh, we're making them as fast as we can. No, they could have produced it around the world for cheap. And that might've gotten us out of this crisis. That's the obvious conclusion they came to the inescapable thing. Obviously they had to do in light of their position and the crisis we're in. Well, let's hear what happened. Yeah, please. So a few weeks later, Oxford urged on by the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation reversed course it signed an exclusive vaccine deal with AstraZeneca that gave the pharmaceutical giant sole rights and no guarantee of low prices, with the less publicized potential for Oxford to eventually make millions from the deal and win plenty of prestige. And uh, shocking turn of events here, AstraZeneca is undersupplying, or basically is not producing as much as it claimed it would uh, for the EU market and for just markets generally. And the end result is they're essentially going to have to give the vast bulk of their supply to the EU. And once again, the third world is going to be cut out of vaccine distribution, as predicted. But this is exactly what we talked about in the Thanksgiving episode, which is the Gates Foundation's main concern is protecting patent rights and protecting, you know, or protecting copyright law when it comes to pharmaceuticals. And that's exactly what happened in this case with predictable results. Yeah. And the joke of this is, like, whatever AstraZeneca promised in this deal that they made with Oxford, saying, you know what, we're going to produce this, uh, give us the sole rights, we're going to give you a huge royalty, whatever, would have, even if they had lived up to that number, would have dwarfed the potential for an open source vaccine to to hit fucking, you know, small drug manufacturers around the world. And what what's going to come of it? Do we think like Oxford's going to back out of the deal just because now AstraZeneca's not holding up their end of the bargain? I, I fucking doubt it. So what we have here is the Gates Foundation. Like we knew they were controlling all this on a global level, using the Gates cachet to like go like, yeah, we're gonna or, we're gonna decide who lives and who dies. We're gonna decide what countries and who gets what vaccines and spread it out. So it's all fair. But of course, it means you know Africa doesn't get it till 2024, which will probably be 2028. But really with this, we see like what they're like, it's operating basically as a global pharmaceutical cartel of which Gates Foundation is the cutout that is operating uh, on the political stage to stamp out competition. None of these, they don't have to compete with each other because they're all being assigned countries to sell to. And the thing that would have undercut the price uh, of vaccines around the world from these pharmaceutical companies, a, an open source vaccine, done. That So he's done the biggest thing he could possibly do, and, it's, and now we're going to live with it. Very cool. <laughs> or not live. That's the other cool part. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it kind of goes back to this thing that we talked about on the show a couple of times too, which is I don't think that any wealthy person is too upset about the end result of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is that it's killing lots of poor people. Like I said, I mean, the long and the short of it, which came up in the New York Times article we read on the Thanksgiving episode, is that the function of the Gates Foundation is to provide a suitable cover for the pharmaceutical industry to maintain its control over patents and copyright law so that it might be able to control the distribution of pharmaceuticals in order to funnel the profits into these few companies. Now, one of the things that was horrifying about that was that the Gates Foundation actually lined up these Indian production plants to produce the COVID vaccine, right? So they lined up these pharmaceutical production plants in India, uh, ironically, for the West, right? So they would produce the COVID vaccine for the West, and people in India would not get access to it until some unknown time down the road. And it, it, it is... We talked about how the Tesla Bitcoin stuff that we we're just doing 1890s grifts again, 
But this is literally just, 19th century imperialism yeah, colonialism. grift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> colonialism. It's just, it's just so extraction. Gross. Yeah. It's yeah. just colonial extraction. Mm -hmm. Which, when you pair that with Bill Gates' opinion that he stated many times, that the problem with Africa is there's too many Africans, and the problem with India is there's too many Indians, you know, it's hard not to put those things together and just say that, like, look, the reason why he doesn't care that this is going to lead to obviously large amounts of deaths is that he doesn't care about any of these fucking people. Just not even a part of his calculation. Just right out the fucking window. Doesn't give a shit. Uh, yeah. Well, and like the, it's not as if uh, Oxford didn't know when they first announced. I mean, it's, it's tempting to go to look at the money that Oxford is going to make. Okay. Obviously, sure. That's a part of their calculation. But it's not that they it's not like they didn't know that 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 was a possible deal when they announced originally that they were going to open source it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they know those are their options. License it to a drug manufacturer and make yeah. bank and royalties or open source it. And they chose they they made that calculation already to lose that those billions of dollars because it's clearly the right thing to do because the position they were in, they looked around like even if they even if even if it hurt, maybe they're. Uh, maybe the people who made that decision are also scumbags who don't really care, but they look, they looked around and saw the politics of it and thought, ugh, we're a public institution. People are going to expect us to do. This was all funded by public money. They're going to expect us to give this away. I guess that's what we have to do. So that means that the function that Bill Gates served in this scenario was to give them cover to either convince them or give them cover and really both to privatize it, to keep it in the cartel of drug manufacturers, yeah. to keep the price up. Well, so he got to go in there because he's Bill Gates, because he has this cachet of the world's greatest philanthropist to go in and talk to them like the guy in charge of global vaccine distribution and say, listen, I'm going to give you this cover. I'm going to go out and say you're doing the right thing by cooperating with our program by I'm giving it my imprimatur and you're going to benefit from this, too. And that's what you need to do because I'm in charge of the world vaccine distribution because I'm rich. I mean, it's that simple. It's, it is that simple and so sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a second sort of ideological goal here, which is kind of like the Democrats dragging their feet on, you know, giving out checks or whatever to help get people through uh, quarantine. You know, one of the big reasons that's been stated over and over again, and actually several Democrats have just stated openly is they don't want to just give checks out to people because then people might get it in their head that the government could give them checks, right? Like, they don't have to live in poverty. They don't exactly. have to take awful jobs. That the state could actually give them relief. And I think a similar thing is happening here, which is if Oxford does just release that as open source, lets anybody use it, it's introducing the idea that pharmaceuticals don't have to have a stranglehold totally on yeah. yeah on patent rights and things like that in order to produce drugs it's one of the main reasons we've and been Gates told stepped for years. in to stop that yeah it's one of the main reasons we've been told for years in america that we can't have public health care yeah yep because exactly. why yeah. why drug prices have to be so high right because in america dumbest country on earth they tell so us dumb. hey you know, yeah, those, the drug companies have to make money because that's how we have all the miracle drugs that you can't afford, <laughs> you asshole, you piece of shit. Yeah, yeah like that's why you're dick how, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Right. And of course, yeah, that's yeah, you ask where the miracle drugs are, you can't all, find them, but all it's all all real drug research is funded at public universities, and we know that these people do the last like few steps on basic research. That includes bolst all the vaccines they're doing now as well as uh even the fancy new mrna vaccine that's you know decades of research that was funded yeah, at funded. public universities that someone's doing the last step on you know to like make a marketable drug out of and it's total bullshit it's like the entire rest of our economy it's and our whole system is designed to just funnel money upward and we're told that we need that so that we can have all these drugs that yeah. you know these fancy drugs that you know huge portions of the population do not and will never benefit from well that's and, well that's I part mean, of why you can fuck. tell people that the fancy drugs are there and exist and that there's all these super th products being made by capitalism because none of us have access to them because we can't afford them so we just assume well i mean they must exist i just i just can't afford to pay well, <laughs> but in reality it's also just bullshit <laughs> they clearly do exist look well they did keep the, donald trump the, alive when the, he got exactly COVID, so. the thing you gotta like the main thing 
to keep in your head about COVID-19 is that globally, not just, and it's very obvious in America that this is a political plague, but it is everywhere. It is, it is, this is a plague of political economy everywhere it's touched. And mm. that's why it has had very different like effects in different places with different uh, political economy. Like, well, it's why every member of the Senate who's a hundred years old and has like fifty-two other diseases hasn't been killed by COVID yet. Yeah, almost it's because no the rich are going to choose. Rich. Yeah, the rich have chosen who lives and who dies. Almost no one famous or rich. And even if you, I, I would love to see a study on this. I mean, it's very subjective who's rich, who's famous. But yeah, the entire Republican Party got COVID, and the only guy that died was uh, what's his face, Herman Cain. Herman Cain, yeah, the guy, the Herman pizza guy who Cain. failed. Yeah, who wow. failed running for office, mm. and so. It just literally came down to they looked at Herman Cain and they're like, "No serum for you." <laughs> just nine, pushed nine, him out nine, the door. Were up. <laughs> yeah, but everybody else no. got it. And they all survived. They, I feel are, like you're right, he, they have the drugs. Yeah, yeah, and like it just proves that, like you know, just like you were saying, I mean, all of this is possible and within reach. But I feel like the Biden era and like 2021 vibes is just going to be like being told what is not possible when it is so clearly possible, you know, like whether it be Medicare for all, whether it be the vaccine stuff, like Mm -hmm. I'm just, I already feel the gaslighting happening. Like at least with Trump, like we knew it couldn't be done or it wouldn't be done, but yeah, like it's just, it's that much worse knowing now that it could be done and it won't, you know? Well, it'll be a dual game too. It'll be on the one hand, it'll be the classic democratic, you know, line of like, this stuff is impossible. But at the same time, they'll be looking us in the eye and going, it's already happening. Yeah. We're doing great. We've got the vaccine. That's basically the Let's attitude Let's open now. back up California. Like, we have yeah. the vaccine. We've been yeah. saying this for a year. Like, as soon as the vaccine comes out, they're going to say, we've got the vaccine. And then yeah. you're not supposed to remember that you don't have it. No one you know has it. And 10 years from now, huge portions of the population yeah. still won't still have it won't have you're it. supposed to forget about There's that no system of everything else yeah. because that's what they tell us with medical care generally in this country it's not just it's on the one hand oh politically oh. and economically m4a is not possible but by the way we have the greatest health care in the world mm-hmm. we have all these you know uh well we can give you access to it and like, like we, we can expand the access to that at best right <laughs> right well you know i mean the main thing is i think in the biden era yeah, we're just going to be gaslit on uh, why they can't do it again or that they are doing it, all this kind of stuff. But the other big thing is we're also just going to pretend that nothing's happening, yeah. right? And I think right. that's been the... Well, that's the equilibrium. The last, Those two things balance out yeah. to nothing's happening. And over the last couple of weeks, I think that's become abundantly clear that we're just going to pretend that everything's actually okay, nobody's dying. And nothing, I think, summarizes this or like puts a point on this more then the plan that started from Biden, but we've heard it from every Democratic governor in the country now, to reopen the schools. So this was what, day three or two of Biden's presidency? Literally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, think, I think it's actually one of his few day one things is that we're going to reopen the schools in the first hundred days. Within a hundred days, yeah. yeah. And obviously the Democrats have been talking about this because Inslee had already been, you know, going over how they, he was going to reopen Washington schools. Cuomo in New York, of course, was like <laughs> basically standing on a pile of corpses, just using a skull as like a microphone was just yelling down. Like, you know, we're reopening everything, but, and, yeah. uh, Newsom. Yeah. Is basically like standing in front of, you know, uh, gate that says uh school will make you free while like smokestacks billow behind him <laughs> it's, it's creating a, a, a sort of job training program at the schools where they're gonna open crematoria at the schools and teach <laughs> yeah. kids how to work at everyone gets to to incinerate their own grandparents yeah. on a field trip yeah fucking incredible so yeah so we're reopening the schools you know in washington uh, I believe it's K through second grade. They went reopened by March and, and special education. Um, yeah, with the and, if plan- and if a third grader goes back to school, that will be a $1 million fine to the third <laughs> grader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the idea too is to slowly reopen it, right? So once K through second go back to bring in like probably third through fifth and then middle school and then high school. And it's kind of funny because this whole thing is happening. I think everybody knows this is a bad idea. It's just going to create a super spreader event, but you're not allowed to say it. But the other part of it too is nobody's asking the question of 
why reopen the schools when we know it's dangerous so that they can go to what the last two months of the year because <laughs> they're out in may so it's basically like yeah go for the last two months run around without your you know without your mask see who can get sick yeah no like why are we pushing it now it's just so dumb like well that's I a don't. real question i mean why why we know it's happening we know the these people are you know a part of a feckless death cult and there are democratic rulers but like wh- how do you how do you explain this like I mean, what is inslee really what is inslee saying about this like i have honestly have i kind of have a um cold take on why this yeah. might be happening Let's hear it. usually mm-hmm. people who are really really involved in um in politics who are not necessarily organizers, but just like, you know, normal people who like right. um, will email their governor or will just be in, you know, elected's ear all the time are people who are usually, um, you know, white homeowner um, yep. parents and the yeah. parents. Um, and this goes beyond even <laughs> elected's. They're a dominant voice um, in the workplace when, um, you know, workplace, uh, yep. I guess, accommodations are brought up they usually it's grievances about um being a parent and working and because you know we are living in a society where uh, both parents do have to work um you know it's really really hard to take care of kids too so that's at the center of a lot of discourse in general and i think honestly um people like electeds are getting sick of hearing from these people and just want them to to shut them up and they're saying, oh, we need to reopen schools. Like it's ridiculous trying to work and take care of my kid at the same time. Like this is um, insane, which, you know, it, to them, valid. Yeah, it is, it, it is really yeah. valid. I mean, it's true. And, um, no, you Munya, know, you're totally right. So like yeah. when I was phone banking for Marco's campaign, this cycle, like I cannot tell you how many times I heard, like, what are they going to do to help me? Like with my kids, with childcare, mm-hmm. with like, you know, I still have a job and my kids at home. Um, and yeah, like, again, we are told that it's impossible for the state or for the federal government to provide any assistance to these parents. And so I guess the only viable solution is to send kids back to school and risk their lives. Um, because we could never send them cash. Yeah. 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 Or provide, uh, I don't know, like some sort of state aid and right. taking care well, of kids. I mean, like in the sense of like, uh, I mean, this, this again goes to the future, right? Of you can't imply that the state can provide childcare or anything. The, these, you know, white suburban homeowner parents are people who are largely still working, probably a lot of them working from home or just annoyed at their kids. And it's like, not, the whole childcare, even if it was a matter of getting them childcare, like that becomes the same thing as like school, mm-hmm. like the same problem. And that whole system is broken down anyway. So it is one problem that I don't, would, I don't know if the, if cash would really help or is really the problem probably for these vocal people that you're talking about Munya who are, who are making such a pain in the ass. I mean, I, th- I do think that like, I mean, look, like there are a lot of people who work from home and that sort of stuff. But the reality is there's a lot of people in rural Washington. Like I can't tell you a work mm-hmm. from home position on the Olympic peninsula. Like that doesn't exist. Yeah. And so like, if we actually shut down non-essential businesses, you know, like the fucking like mall is still open, you know, yeah. like if we actually shut shit, da- shit down, like paid people to stay home. Like, I think that would shut a lot of people up, but I do also agree that like some people just like are annoyed as fuck with their kids and like, they would rather send them to school um, and potentially risk them getting COVID than like having to deal with them. Well, maybe, sure. that, maybe that's the problem then is that the response to this in America has been so top to bottom backwards and destructive and we're starting from an absolutely totally dysfunctional society and health system that wherever you are at any point at it there's it's going to be impossible for most people to come to any kind of rational analysis of what actually went wrong and what they think the government should have done differently right like how because if you're someone who's if you're someone who's pissed off about the the lockdowns it's mm-hmm. easy for me to say, like, yeah, you're right. We should have paid you to stay home. Then maybe you wouldn't have, like, maybe you'd be feeling okay, better about being locked down, maybe. But at the same time, it's like, 
a lot of countries barely had to lock down because they had robust public health systems uh, that they deployed immediately, you know? So it's like, I, I, I don't know. I guess if we ever get out of all this year zero, abolish the fucking family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's these dysfunctions. They're just inherent into the American system, uh, which is that, yeah, for most people, like both parents, if you're in a two parent household, both parents have to work. And the solution to that was that school would be the child care answer for them. Uh, and yeah, for a lot of people, that means that during COVID, they've had to leave the house, right, to go to their jobs uh, that they were forced to go to under threat of all the things, capitalism, threats, eviction, right, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're forced to go out, which makes it difficult, yeah, if you're just leaving your kid at home. Uh, and then there are the people who work from home who, you know, because they're supposed to be doing their job while their kids are there are having all sorts of problems. And to highlight that, there was a story I was trying to find it just a second ago, but there was a story in Bloomberg recently where business leaders were claiming that they, by their, you know, estimation, you know, when they like threw chicken bones <laughs> into a skillet and like stared at it, you know, put the blood on it and stared at it. But by their estimations, they were losing billions of dollars of worker productivity because their workers who are now working from home were wasting valuable company time fucking around with their kids, right, at home, right, trying to do parenting. And as much as we complain about suburban, you know, suburban parents complaining to Inslee or Cuomo or whoever, right? Uh, as much as we talk about that, I think it literally just came down to the business community saying, look, we want everybody back at work. We want them working the way they used to, which is, you know, nose to the grindstone, whatever they think is happening you know, previously. We want to get rid of this excuse that is childcare. And so we want the schools reopened. Right. You know, right. send them back. We want those billions. Send them back. I mean, that's what's driven a lot of stuff as we that's driven every decision it. up to this point. Yeah, too. That's what we've tracked about. it here. You know, this is like all of the all of the lockdown drama back and forth in Washington state was basically a negotiation between uh, the governor and the Boeing company. Yeah, I mean, um, we all remember when Boeing hilariously got Inslee to declare them and emergency uh industry or whatever that was only industry. after stalling the lockdown yeah. for a, yeah. you know right. a long time yeah. Yeah. at so first they before they were able to come up with a way they could give them a cutout of it a carve yeah. out so brian i do want to preface what i'm about to say by saying i personally largely agree with the analysis that you just gave and that everybody else has given that it's primarily a, a work pressure mm -hmm. and a business pressure that is opening the schools but being a parent, knowing other parents, and knowing kids, I can tell you that it's having a really profound negative impact on children. Yeah. It's really, really, yeah. really yeah. bad. And, yeah, yeah. And they need to see kids, which is the thing. And so that that's a very real concern. And I don't think that killing kids or killing teachers is going to make that better. But <laughs> yeah. it is well, yeah. a, an unfortunate downside to this. No, yeah, that's and that's I, so underrated too, right? Like, I don't think that's even really talked about. It's like, not, when you well, think about the long-term impact of COVID, we usually kind yeah. of, um, you know, think about the actual, like, when people can contract COVID, we don't know the long-term impact. But really, if we have a whole generation um, in their, really, like, their brain is developing at an exponential rate and all of them at once are not having the expected amount of socializing and even sometimes get upset when they go outside and see yeah. people yeah. who are not their parents like that is um, really Concerning. alarming to the point yeah. where it's like hard to even bring up because there's a lot of implications there. No. And like, look, one of my best friends, like, I feel like I'm allowed to say this. She was homeschooled her entire life and like she recognizes that she's kind of fucking weird. You yeah. know, and like, imagine if an entire <laughs> generation goes through this experience of like, yeah, not having uh, socialization, like human interaction. It's definitely something we need to be centering. But like, we're obviously not centering that experience. We're centering the experience of either parents or of business. Mm -hmm. And like, let's be real, mental health of children has never actually mattered. Like no one has ever actually mm -hmm. cared um, when it comes to like school or else we would be talking about things like, you know, testing and the fact that we have kids in school for fucking nine hours a day. Like, again, it's always been about centering the experience of business and of parents, mm -hmm. not of the mental health of children. 
Yeah, I mean, part of why we keep the kids in school all day is so that the parents can go to work, right? But the other thing, I mean, which, you know, teachers were bringing this up at the beginning of the school closures too, is one of the greatest indicators in America for whether or not you're in poverty is if you're a child. We have the highest child poverty rate in the industrial world, not even by a little bit, but by a huge margin. And schools provide regular meals to lots of children who might not get them otherwise. Schools also provide a lot of... Uh, you know, social support in the sense of social workers and stuff at the schools. Uh, they also are usually the place where you find out whether or not, you know, the parents are beating their kids because we live in this hilarious system where parents have owned their children like you would own a fucking car or something and can essentially do whatever they want to them. Uh, I mean, schools actually provide a ton of social aid to kids too, which is also bad that we're losing no, at the, at the most basic level, like it's an escape for kids, like whether it be sure. from like, you know, domestic violence, just like income issue, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, I mean, this is why this sort of COVID, why the U.S. fucking up its COVID response so thoroughly and so impressively is going to probably stick with us for a long time is that, yeah, the real answer to all of this was pay everybody to stay home for two months, right? So that you don't have these long-lasting effects. And then you come out of it and you get to have pool parties like build, they're having in yeah, Wuhan, build right? Up public health infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, build a public health infrastructure. Massive testing. But we yeah, didn't do any parties. of that because every step of the way, our pandemic response was totally based off of what the business community would allow the state to do. And so every step of the way, this pandemic has been exacerbated by this, by this commitment to the business community and the thing is now is that yeah i get that you know there's a lot of really troubling things about keeping kids out of school but at this point we've reopened yeah yeah, we've reopened the schools enough in the united states and in other countries so that we know all we're doing is creating a massive super spreader event and i've heard some responses from some people they're like yeah but kids don't typically die from covid as if there's nobody else in that school with them and as if the kids right. don't come home, home. I, I always, yeah, I always joke. I'm like, luckily children are these perfectly autonomous units that don't require adults to ever be around them. Yo, have you <laughs> ever seen kids cough? Like, have you of ever course, seen a they're kid? They're fucking like, nasty, it's the dude. Most yeah. disgusting shit yeah. you'll ever see in your life. Well, it's my like, wife who's <laughs> my wife who's done childcare entire life laughed and said that I love that they're sending the grossest kids to school first, right? Yeah, <laughs> the right. ones who cough directly <laughs> in each other's mouths. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well, and well, we it, are seeing. Go on, Colin. It is funny too because I think around Christmas time, a study came out of England that was showing that school children were the super spreaders. They were the Mm -hmm. ones bringing it back to the house. And there's every indication that that's what's going to happen here. And I think also just to reiterate one point that Munya had made, yeah, maybe kids won't die, but we don't know what long lasting effects it might have Mm -hmm. on their, their health. Totally dude. Yeah, no, I think I, I saw something. I think it was even from UW that like, um, I don't know if it was like a bunch of frat kids or kids in sports, but like all these 18 year olds that they, that had COVID like two thirds of them had heart issues afterwards yeah. and they were yeah. like asymptomatic. Oh like, that's well, that, it's that's bad, been, dude. That's been reported in dozens of studies. Right. It's not just to that. Like yeah. July, yeah. just to, yeah. like July. That's every, every age group that there's this, you know, a lot of people will show no symptoms that they notice, but when you look at the data and you, or you actually get these people in a study, you find that a bunch of people do in fact have symptoms, uh, including children, which is like heart inflammation, brain right. issues that yeah. who knows how long if, are they mm-hmm. going to be like, is that going to affect them permanently? I mean, this has a potential to really seriously, not only reduce, but wound the U.S. population, like on a level that totally, we, no one will probably even ever understand, well, except historians a hundred years from now trying to piece a piece together, like how the empire fell. You know, <laughs> when it was like there was literally like when two thirds of the population because a, we're a doing lead poisoning a, thesis, just like they had for the fall of Rome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Where it's like, uh, you know, because we are doing the the what is called you know was called early on the um the herd immunity strategy which is just like a a 
a weird way of saying every just just everybody gets to get it a lot of people are gonna die don't worry about it and when that's over yeah a couple you know three million people will be dead but a lot of people will have lung heart and brain damage yeah and in in a country by the way that doesn't provide health care to right you know 60 percent of its population that even and that those people who because the health system is overloaded now everywhere with covid patients these people with very mild symptoms or maybe this heart these a heart inflammation are not getting treatment are absolutely not getting treatment that they would be getting in a system that was functioning where like if you were unlucky enough to get it you would be getting treated for whatever your symptoms are maybe to minimize the Mm. damage Mm-hmm. Uh, we know people all year for the last year with un- co- unrelated COVID un- co- health problems unrelated to COVID have opted out of going to the hospital totally because yeah. either they haven't been able to get an appointment, mm-hmm. uh, there's no capacity, or they just want to stay away and for good reason. And now, and they're going to die of cancer or some other things that mm-hmm. have gone untreated well past the point where it's savable. So we know, we know for a lot of reasons, the death toll is being undercounted in this country. Uh, especially in Republican states, but everywhere. But like, it's not going to be for years till, you know, people, you know, you'll be reading, I keep saying this, you'll, the only satisfaction, the only knowledge you'll get of any of this is reading a book in 10 years by some academic that breaks down like, well, how many people did COVID really kill or maim in this country, including all these other factors, like people who Mm. died of cancer that would have been treated, you know, uh, or just the, like people that are going to have like heart issues and stuff at, like in the mm-hmm. coming years, the like they won't, life, yeah. they won't be counted as a COVID death, but like, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, one of the more fascinating stories in a very bizarre NFL season, sorry, I'm going to talk sports one second Ugh. is Fucker. there, you know, there's a player <laughs> in the Cleveland Browns who is an elite athlete named Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is in better shape than anybody, any of us have ever met. Right. He has access to the best HGH, the best steroids that you can buy, right? (laughs) He got COVID this year, had to miss multiple weeks. He apparently was very sick. And afterwards, he was gasping for air. And whenever he'd be on the field, he would even openly say, like, I'm having a really hard time, like, keeping my breath. (laughs) And, like, you know, I'm just finding myself just gasping for air when I move around. That is a guy who's probably 24 years old and is in literally perfect shape, and had access to the best healthcare on the planet. What the fuck do you think this is doing to the rest of us? It's Look, man, so if, bad. If the Q people or whoever thinks this is right, and this was a Chinese bioweapon designed to target America, <laughs> then I, I then honestly, it was a masterstroke because the U.S. <laughs> is too stupid to come up with something like this. Uh, so subtle a weapon, so so bold. <laughs> so daring a plan where you understand that a biological weapon is not really about the disease, but actually is a question of political economy. And you go, well, we can weather this just fine. We can weather a plague and actually have nothing, very little happen to us, as will much of the world. And we'll make sure that's the case with any countries we actually like as well, you know, Uh and then everyone we hate, and especially America, will be a fucking shambles. Um, I mean, you know, in the sci-fi version of this, like, that's the arch plan that, that's the diabolical plan that um, is, I guess what it says is America, uh, we are uniquely vulnerable to fucking everything. Yeah. yeah. We're just teetering on on the brink of collapse as a culture. Well, I think maybe and having honestly, no can't come fast maybe having no social infrastructure in retrospect was a bad idea. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to point maybe one last thing about you know the COVID and slavery right back to schools is in USA Today the what I like to call the paper of record. Uh, <laughs> Randy Weingartner, who if people who don't understand Randy Weingartner is the forever president of the AFT that you just can't fucking get rid of, uh, wrote this editorial. That basically the whole editorial was, uh, hey, no vaccines, no problem. Teachers go back to work, right? And reading it, my first instinct was, this sounds like something that some freak from the Chamber of Commerce wrote. And then Randy Weingarter just wrote her name on it, right? 
And it's co-written by a Dr. Uh, Rajiv Shaw here. And I was like, I wonder who that co-writer is. Let's just pop down to the bottom of said article. And you find out, oh, president of the Rockefeller Foundation. Oh. And oh. <laughs> well, the representative from the Standard Oil Fortune. Yeah. Would like up. to speak up here. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, the tell people, us what you have to say. It's only the same organization that funded Dr. Mangala's work up until 1942. No big deal. Don't need to worry about this. <laughs> don't don't so, look into that any further. So, but yeah, by the way, that's a true fucking story. People might think I'm making a joke there. That is absolutely true. But anyways, the thing is, is that, you know, everybody knows this is a bad idea. Business wants it. And now they're mobilizing their pawns, right? In order to get this pushed across the finish line. And, you know, a lot of people are really upset or shocked that the head of the AFT would write such an editorial because they have no relationship to the AFT personally and don't realize that, one, national heads of unions usually fucking suck and are awful human beings. (laughs) And Randy is no fucking exception. One of the worst human beings that's ever lived on the planet. And just a quick story, at the 2010 AFT convention, which happened to be in Seattle, Washington, uh, I went down with some people in the AFT to go pick it because Randy was having fucking lunch with Arnie Duncan, Obama's secretary of education at wild ginger downtown. (laughs) Arnie Duncan was famous for, you know, as head of Chicago public schools, he created the Renaissance 2010 program, which was a program to close 100 public schools in Chicago and open 100 charter schools to replace them. The schools that got closed were all in primarily lower-income black neighborhoods. And what they were largely replaced with... schools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were replaced with charter schools that did much worse than the public schools did. Uh, but, but at the same time, one of the more insidious things was they were replaced with a bunch of military academies that were designed. Oh now, keep in mind, this is in the 2000s. God. The U.S. at the time was engaged in this war on terror. You guys probably aren't going to remember this. You're too young. But we were in (laughs) Afghanistan and Iraq and places like that fighting these forever wars. But one of the big things the military, you would hear about it all the time. Yeah, we're. We're. were. (laughs) You would hear about this under Bush all the time that the military couldn't find recruits. And Chicago was like, no, this is the solution. Put military academies in in poor neighborhoods and create a pipeline, a poverty pipeline into the military to essentially fuel the meat grinder of the forever war. And that was what Arnie Duncan did. Randy Weingarten was sitting there having fucking lunch with this fucking monster. And that's who the head of the AFT is. I hate it here. But yeah, I I just want to close with that just because I think we're going to see this now. This was the first you know, sort of salvo, but I think we're about to get a bunch of editorials that say, no, actually opening schools is good by some jackass associated either with labor or with the Democratic Party, co-signed by Dr. Mangala, you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm just, prepare yourselves. <laughs> well, and again, the gaslighting is happening because we've been told over and over again, like, oh, we're the side that believes in science. And like the science that they're pointing to now is like, better ventilation and not like <laughs> people are dying um so that's cool well, yeah. it's like what a monumental just success that <laughs> for capital that the democratic party essentially is an opposition party but not um on behalf of the people but directly to the people like yeah. their yeah. whole function yeah. is to basically yeah. just discipline us the entire time well yeah, <laughs> It's just yeah, like this wow, moment, what a right? country! <laughs> we've we've failed this bad at COVID. Probably a lot of the reason that Donald Trump didn't squeak it out and get a second term. We're now five days into a God, whole new it. presidency, wow. and what we've got from Joe Biden is: look, there's nothing we can do about the pandemic in the next few months except open schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this would have been the time, right? If something was going to, if you were going to take a new direction, fucking follow the example of any of a fucking two dozen countries on earth who have done well at this. Now's the, would have been the time to start. And that's not happening. We do not have two parties in this country. Yeah. I mean, I just like the thing that blows my mind so much is that California ICU capacity is literally at 0%. And today 
the governor announced that they're reopening. It's just well, like, yeah. how is this real life? So this is Monday night. I think what we saw today was a bunch of people reporting based on a letter from the California Restaurant it's Association. It's happening. I mean, yeah. That he's going to announce tomorrow. It sounds like they were, they are planning to do this. Yes, at a time when they have had, I mean, the the, well, the, the meme out of all this really is the, they've had to relax uh, California's strict smog regulations in L- L.A. to allow for crematoriums to operate unimpeded. 24-7. Because yeah. there's, I guess, crematoriums are literally regulated where they have to check the smog for the day before they run the, the fires yeah. in, in L.A. Because it's such a disgusting fucking city. Um, but they're just cranking them out. It's they're just shoveling the bodies in. Yeah. So one week after we got the news story about how the crematorias need to run twenty four seven, we have uh, we're reopening everything in yep. LA. And I mean that that's going to be nationwide. I think because science, see. I guess. Like, yeah, because what? we're trusting science <laughs> as always. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, trusting science is just like the I fucking love science crowd. Uh, we've had a bone to pick with them for a while. Fu- oh my god, I forgot which, about that. Yeah, Facebook page. It's a, it's a nice relic, awful. right? Like we went from <laughs> like a- epic, epic bacon Reddit science to right. like um, Facebook page. I fucking love science, and now it's doing like um, uh, Darwinism, social Darwinism cool. on on us. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, a fun story. I got uh, I got into a Facebook group that was like an I fucking love science Facebook group oh, this years no. ago. And I just posted a picture, that picture of them like napalming, you know, the village in Vietnam and the kids running out or whatever. And I just put I fucking love science on it. Oh and they threw me out of the group. <laughs> but I was like, what department in the college do you think developed that napalm? <laughs> you know, like I, I hate to tell you. It's not all peaches and cream over in the science department. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not saying we have to like end on a happy note this year, like in this new iteration mm. of the show. But like, well, what we should end on, we should mention, is that one, the Chicago the Chicago Teachers Union, which is the best local Baddies. of all the AMT, yeah, they're awesome, has refused to go back to work. Right now in Bellevue, yes. the Bellevue Teachers Union is basically saying that Bellevue would be in breach of contract by making them go back to work before vaccines are available yeah. and saying that they're not going to go back. Love it. I'm guessing the Seattle Teachers Union will probably do the same. Yeah, there's no support, way. support your local teachers union. They literally are the only thing between us and a massive super spreader event happening in the next month or two. Uh, support your local unions, all right? The national leadership, I said a lot of bad things about the national leadership of AFT, and all of it was deserved. Uh, oh, absolutely. That's you, yeah. That's why you have to be active in your locals, guys. No, local, I promise good, you. National bad. Always, <laughs> yeah. Local good, national bad, always. Yeah. But that, that's still going to leave out people outside of big co- metropolitan cities with mm-hmm. stronger locals, with better, with saner politics. It's going to leave the whole rest of the country, rural Washington, the fucking mm-hmm. peninsula. Yep. Like, you know, they're all probably going to go back to school. Yep. You know, I imagine so. Yeah. Great. Cassidy, you know, I know you're. We, we still have yet to get to. The, we're going to get to this in the future. Talk about the uh, all the new uh, organizing you're doing. But like, is there like, is there any way to be hopeful? Because you are doing. You're in the middle <laughs> of that kind of work. Like, is there a way to be hopeful about what people are doing, planning this year to organize on the labor front? Like that you're following. Like some kind of up note to end this on. It's, it's fucking grim. I mean, you know. The big thing that's being pushed now that Biden is in office, like I know that one of our big things with IUPAD is pushing the PRO Act, like, um, you know, making sure that gig workers are considered workers, things like that. Um, So, you know, I definitely think that we could have some wins, um, but also, I don't know. (sighs) <laughs> you know, I it's I'm hard to look at the past 40 all, years. No, my, uh, thing, labor in, be my thing in organizing <laughs> always is like, you know, to be optimistic, but also realistic, you know. So um, I'm yeah. really hopeful. And yeah, like locals are going to I think locals are going to do some amazing things this year. And like, you know, hopefully we can really get behind gig workers and stuff like that. But also, like, I think that we're going to continue to get fucked, too. Let's be real. So, yeah. Um, we have to continue to build the labor movement here in the United States. I mean, it's still, we're only at like what 5%. So Mm -hmm. let's like build that. Yeah. 
build the labor movement, support your local teachers, support your local construction unions, particularly the painters union. Uh, you know, get um, out there. Yeah. And like, just a quick shout out, like we'll talk about it more later, but yeah, like if you're a campaign worker, um, like check out wcwc.us slash union card and you can become a union member. So love to see it. All right. We'll put that in the show notes. Cool. So that was hell on earth, but what else is new, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> later, I like later, that you've developed a, why a do new people sign up. still listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I just like uh, Colin is developing a new catchphrase this year. Well, that sucked is <laughs> off the board. Yeah, that was that was 2020 shit, Brian. Damn. Uh, now it's just welcome to hell, hell world. Yeah. Uh, so s- sign up to our Patreon <laughs> like these awesome folks. Farai Chiro, Nirvana Walk. SJ Chiro and Mark Forsland. Oh my God, my parents. Oh, your family. This is actually how we build our Patreon is by just hiring more hosts. Intergenerational yeah, totally. podcasting is what the left needs. Abolish <laughs> 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 the family except Munia's family. So if you, and Mark is also my best friend too. So that's like, that's <laughs> yeah. Nice. All yeah. Right. When we win, uh, Munia's family gets to stay together. All other families have to break up. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, if you guys want to be cool like them and you want to listen to, I don't know, the Patreon episode this week where we talk about Tacoma police and our favorite character, Mike Solon, uh, you know, sign up. Go to our Patreon. Yeah. It's very cheap. Year zero, we take Colin's kids away from him. Bye, everybody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>